0: In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Three in One, who has sent us the Lamb, that He might be, ironically, our Shepherd. Dear brothers and sisters in Christ, We are in a sermon series that is going through the book of Revelation. And as we go through the book of Revelation with all of its weird stuff and seven-headed dragons and ten-headed this and whatever-headed that and a slain lamb who is still alive somehow, uh, we come to this moment in Revelation time, which looks a lot like the moment in Revelation time from last Sunday. We are currently... Looking at Revelation 7, but there is a lot of similarity between Revelation 7 and Revelation 5. So just to catch you up, if you weren't here last Sunday, here's what we talked about. What we talked about was that in Revelation 5, you have this scene where you have this scroll that is presented and nobody is able to open up the scroll because nobody is worthy enough. And what's written on the scroll could mean that human beings live forever with God or it could mean that God is divorcing humanity and saying, no, thank you, you can go on your own way. And as we looked through that, we saw that there was this character, the figure of the Lamb, who we know is Jesus Christ. And this Lamb is worthy to open up the seals. And so when um, the Lamb is worthy enough to open up the seals, you have John saying, uh, crying, first of all. And then you have an elder who is in heaven go to John and ask him a question. And as John kind of works through that question, you find out something kind of amazing. Well, that's the same thing that happens today. And as you take a look at what's going on in our reading today, you, you can't help but see the similarities between the two. But in between there, in between chapter 5 and chapter 7, a lot has happened. Because you remember those, those seals... Well, those seals, the lamb is worthy to open up the seals. And sure enough, what he does in between now and uh, in between last Sunday and this Sunday is that he opens up the seals. And so as he opens up the seals, you have kind of strange things happen every time he opens up a seal. The first Four times that he opens up a seal, you have these four characters that we kind of know in our culture. These four characters who are the four horsemen of the apocalypse. The last of whom is Clint Eastwood. <laughs> He's a pale rider. He bring, yeah, um, good laughter. You guys watch good westerns. And and you have the four horsemen of the apocalypse, and and then you have, well, you you have two other things that happen. The first thing that happens is, uh, after the four horsemen of the apocalypse, and so uh, we're on seal number five. In seal number five, you have all of the martyrs of the world, all of the witnesses that suddenly appear when this fifth seal is broken. And so... You have all of them, and they're all crying out for justice. They're all saying, how long, oh Lord, how long? And they don't get an answer. And then you get the sixth seal that opens up. And the sixth seal looks a lot like Jesus' crucifixion and death. Because what you have when you open up the sixth seal is that you have, there's a great earthquake, and then there's darkness throughout all of heaven. And then you, you have this kind of... Well, this, this very kind of traumatic moment. And it's right after that very traumatic moment that you have this. Now, you might be saying, hey, Pastor Jay, I know that you weren't a math major in college, but that's only six seals. Well, that's because the seventh seal has yet to be broken in this story. And so we're only on number six right now. And where we're at is we're in this moment. So you kind of have the context now. You, you have the context where you've uh, seen John very distraught saying who is worthy enough to open up the seals. And then you have the lamb come in and John goes, thank goodness there is somebody who is worthy enough to open up the seals. Let's see what happens. And then what happens is he unleashes the four horsemen of the apocalypse. And it looks like an X-Men movie again um, and, and you have the, this thing that have and then you have things that strangely look like things from Jesus's history and, and so you have the martyrs of the world rising up and right before Jesus goes to the cross he talks about the prophets and the people that were foretelling him he talks about people like Isaiah and Jeremiah who were mistreated by the 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 city of Jerusalem, he talks about people like John the Baptist who is beheaded by the institution that was at large at the time. And then you have finally the sixth seal open and that looks a lot like Jesus' death. And then you have this moment where it looks like, well, John doesn't really understand time. Because now all of a sudden, well, as we jump into this moment in Revelation 7, all of a sudden you start to get visions of, oh, this is good. This is Palm Sunday. Because all of the, the there's this great multitude and they're all singing to God. And they're all waving palm branches. And you know, John, if you weren't confusing enough, you, you don't go according to the timeline that I know. Well, what's going on here? And actually, you still don't have the immediate context of what happens just before this in Revelation 7, which is that you have this group called the 144,000, which if you've seen that TV show, tell me about it because I haven't yet. I assume it's bad. Um, And and so you have the 144,000, which is basically supposed to symbolize the righteous of Israel, the the righteous people that have uh, come through the time of since, well, Adam and Eve to today, whatever that is in Revelation, and you have the 144,000 that are the people of Israel, the Hebrew people that God is saving. Well, and then you have this group that for most of us, this is the group that matters to us because we're not Jewish, we are Gentiles, and this is the Gentile group. This multitude that cannot be counted. This group of people that you simply cannot count. I mean, if they could count 144,000, and yet they couldn't count this number, that's a pretty big number. There's something to this. And and they're all there, and they're all celebrating, and then John asks a question. asks this question, well, who are these? Or actually, the elder goes to John and asks him that question and says, who are these? Probably echoing what is in John's mind, because the elder, well, the elder knows who they are. John doesn't know who they are, but yet the elder kind of rhetorically says, hey, who are these people? And John said, I don't know. You know. Which is interesting that it falls upon this Sunday, because on this Sunday, we are celebrating our newest members. And as the kids pointed out, um, I have to give them, like, chocolate after this. As the kids pointed out, that's a lot of times the question that I hear I I hear people in this church who, um, they'll see somebody, they'll see one of you, and um, they'll see you enough that they can have a description of you. And they they, they come to me and they say, "Uh, Pastor, who is that? The person with the purple hair and the green shoes and the orange skirt. To which I always kind of feel like saying, well, I'm sure you could ask them. I'm sure that they would tell you who they are. But usually it's, it's to the point where they're asking me that at a time where we are not literally around you anymore. And so uh, it's much easier just to ask me and I say, well, you know, that is uh, so-and-so. And this is kind of a little bit about who they are. And you should get to know them, because they're kind of cool in this way or that way. Or don't get to know them. They're horrible. <laughs> I don't ever actually say that. <laughs> Not about new people, anyway. <laughs> but, and, and that's the same thing that's being asked here. That the question is, who are these people? And... The the answer to that question is that these people are uh, Mark and Jan and Oz and Jim and Sue, our new members that you're going to see up here, along with an uncountable multitude of other people that are coming out of the tribulation. That are coming, and so then you go, oh, tribulation, that sounds horrible. What is that? And I think the reason that we ask about what is the tribulation when you start looking at at Revelation things is that uh, you you ask it for two reasons. You first of all ask it, you say, what is the tribulation? Because I want to stay away from whatever that tribulation thing is. The second reason that you ask it is, uh, what is the tribulation? Because I hate my neighbor and I really want to see them in the tribulation. And I would like to tell them where to go so that they get hit by it the hardest. Because we are all sinners after all. And the tribulation is quite simply, well now, it's what we're kind of living in. There's this tribulation aspect to life, isn't there? There's this aspect to life that uh, we understand that we are living in a time of suffering. And if you don't believe that you're living in a time of suffering, well, you've probably had a lobotomy. <laughs> because it's, it's what we live in. Mark and Jan can tell you about the suffering in their life. Oz can tell you about the suffering in his life. Jim and Sue can tell you about the suffering in their life. You can tell them about the suffering in your own life. We all live in this world that's sick with sin. And because it is sick with sin, ours and the sins of other people, we live in suffering. We live in tribulation. And we need somebody to save us from that. And sure enough, that is what's happening here in Revelation, is that We have this promise that one day all of that suffering, all of that will end. That there will be an end to hunger. That there will be an end to thirst. That there will be an end even to our tears. And that that end is the resurrection of all flesh. Where we will be there in white robes. Holding palm branches. Singing an amazing song to God. And that we will be there with Mark and Jan and Oz and Jim and Sue. And you and me and everyone else who believes in Christ will be there. But that's not where the gospel part of this ends. That is the gospel. You have been saved. Jesus Christ has died for your sins. And one day, because of that, you will no longer have suffering. But it's even better. Because Psalm 23, because Psalm 23 tells us about a shepherd who is present with us today. And Revelation tells us that that shepherd is Jesus. And that shepherd does some pretty amazing things in the midst of suffering. It says that he is there with us when we walk through this thing called the shadow of the valley of death. It says that He is there with us when enemies are surrounding us and that He has laid out a buffet table for us like it is the New Times Country Buffet. That place actually exists here in Tallahassee. It's not just in the future. That Jesus is right there with us, shepherding us, guiding us, Have you ever wondered about when we're saying the prayers, and I I slip into this sometimes not meaning to, and when we pray and we're praying for somebody who's hurting, I pray to God that he would be with so-and-so because they're going through cancer or they have a broken bone or whatever. It's that notion of presence that God promises to us that maybe we will have cancer and maybe somebody in our life will pass away and maybe there will be something in our life where a relationship is broken and it feels like the end of the world and it feels like the shadow of the valley of death is creeping in on us. But God promises that even in those moments, He is right there with us as our shepherd, as the Lamb who has become the one who guides us, the one who feeds us, the one who tells us that it's going to be okay. And so, this week, may you live with joy in the midst of your suffering and tribulation, knowing that you have a shepherd who is there with you in the midst of the valley of the shadow of death and in the midst of those times when you are surrounded by enemies. Amen.